Hey, uh, has anybody seen the Lord do something interesting lately? I mean, anybody that would, just one person who would just want to come up and say, here's what I saw the Lord do. Anybody? Yeah, come on up, Carol. Thanks. She's in the best home group, by the way. I'm not good at this. I'm not good at this, so this is not my forte. I just want to beg your forgiveness in advance. A couple Fridays ago, I got a phone call from my brother-in-law, and he said, your sister's in the emergency room. She doesn't know me. My other sister, who lives closer, sped off to the emergency room. She didn't know her. She didn't know she had sisters. She didn't know what sisters were. She didn't know it was Christmas. This is the kid who has three Christmas trees in her house. She didn't know it was Christmas. She didn't know what Christmas was. Fat man, red suit, whiskers, ho, ho, ho. Nothing. Her husband said, Jesus' birthday. Nothing. And then the really frightening part. Do you know who Jesus is? Nothing. She grew up with Jesus and a Bible in her back pocket. No notion. We cried a lot, prayed a lot, family and friends. And the next day, her husband said, called me, I'm on my way. And he called and he said, it's like someone threw a switch. He said, she knows me. She knows her best friend. She knows my sister. And she knows it's Christmas and what Christmas is about. And I said, who do you suppose threw that switch? And he said, if I ever in my life doubt the power of prayer, will you please hit me in the head? I agreed. I said I would accommodate him. It was the best Christmas present we could have gotten as a family. But God does move. He does hear our prayers. And he loves us more than we can possibly love each other. If you're facing a difficulty, call on him. Just ask him. Thank you. Thank you, Carol. Thank you. Well, I think we'll continue our talk this morning about following Jesus. Something else new and fresh going on in this fellowship, and it's amazing to see the level of seriousness that many, many of you are developing for following Jesus as your Lord. I think maybe not enough people who say they want to follow Jesus give enough thought to where he went. You know, we talk about wanting to follow Jesus, but I wonder if we're giving enough thought just from the scriptures 
about where it is he went. He never went to a better job. He never went to a new car. (laughs) He never went to a fine home, ever. And yet, so much of American Christianity is posed as, follow Jesus and He will lead you to these places of comfort. He led none of His disciples to places of comfort. He went and He hung out with tax collectors and sinners, the Bible says. And He led them to all the worst places. And then as He was getting ready to go to the cross Himself, and they were following Him to the cross, He made sure to tell them, by the way, some of you are going to die the same death that I'm going to die. That's what you get when you follow Me. And so following Jesus goes to dangerous places that end up in our death. You ready to sign up? Jesus said, if anyone would come after me, anyone, not just a select 12, anyone wants to come after me, wants to follow me, he must do what? He must deny himself. It's not about us. It's about God and His glory is what the Gospel is about. He must deny himself, take up his cross, which is not to strap something around your neck. It's fine if you do that, but that's not what this means. It means to bear the instrument of your own death, as Jesus bore the instrument of his own death, and then follow him. And in following Him, you may think, well, so if I just do those two things, then I get the car? Then I get the new husband? Then I get the new job? Then I get the perfect situation? No, when you do those two things, you're ready to follow Him to a garbage heap outside of Jerusalem called Golgotha where you get to live your life as a dead man. As a dead man raised to new life by the power of Jesus Christ. As a dead man who has been brought from death to life and filled with the power of His Holy Spirit, impacting everything that you do because of that. Everything changes when you do that. So thus far I've given you the first five of seven actionable qualities of a genuine disciple of Jesus Christ. And they are, of course, we are people of prayer, we're people of the Word. We are people who bear witness to the things that Jesus does. As Carol just bore witness. She saw something and she told us about it. And she lived. As those who worship God, release into worship, as those from last week who are committed to being in relationship with one another, who are not hiding in church, in our own little chair, our own little space, coming in late, leaving early, so that we can get away without connection. 
but we are people who are connected to the body of Christ in unity. Well, I have some really good news for you now, because these have been kind of hard, haven't they? These have been a little bit difficult at times. I have some really good news for you, and that is that the last two come naturally as a result of the first five. That they just, you, you're not going to be able to help yourself do these two other things as actionable qualities if you're committed to the first five. And the, the last two actionable qualities of a genuine disciple of Jesus Christ are servant and generosity. Servant and generosity. That these are the two, the two actionable qualities that complete the character of a disciple of Jesus Christ. That you are a servant, and that because of what Christ has done for you, you have, you have embraced a generous spirit. I'd like to try to treat both of these topics together today in comparison with each other or next to one another. And a servant, to be a servant of Jesus Christ means to be a person whose life has been repurposed. Do you ever repurpose something? To be a servant of Jesus Christ means that your life has been repurposed. No longer do we live for the things, just for the things that we can dream up. No longer do we live to amass piles of stuff. No longer do we live to please ourselves. But as servants, we now live to please Jesus Christ, and we live to serve the least of all people that we can manage to find on the earth. As a servant of Jesus Christ, you are now living to try to serve the least influential people that you can find. The people that by serving them will do you the least amount of good in doing that. And it's so counterintuitive, isn't it? Because all of our human nature teaches us to buddy up to those who can help us get along, get higher. And and in reality, as servants of Jesus Christ, as we'll see, that we are called to serve the least. We are called not to climb to the top of the pile, but to compete, beloved, for the bottom of the heap. To see who can get the lowest. I have some scriptures that I'm just going to share with you this morning. There are lots of them. I don't have a single text as I normally do, so I'm not going to ask you to stand. There would be so many, you might think you're in a Catholic church, and so... We don't want to do that. What I want to do is read these. And, you know, normally I say turn in your Bibles. I wonder if you would just trust me to read them for you this morning. And and would you just listen to them instead of fussing your way to the spot? There are 14 scriptures I want to share. So would you just let the Word of God do its work in you? You might even close your eyes if you can manage to still stay conscious. But you you know what I'm saying? Just sort of center down. And let the word fall on you. I'm not going to make a great number of comments about each one. Jesus called his disciples together and said, You know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. 
Just let that word percolate in you for a second. In Matthew 25, Jesus said, For I was hungry, and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty, and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger, and you invited me in. I needed clothes, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you looked after me. I was in prison, and you came to visit me. And the righteous will answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in, or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the king will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did for the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. In John 13, Jesus stunned his disciples by washing their feet, which was exactly the kind of thing you know you might come to expect from following Jesus because he was so countercultural. In doing so, he was taking on the, the, the role of the lowest slave in culture, the one who was stuck with the assignment of washing the feet of guests. And the Bible says when he had finished washing their feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I've done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that's what I am. Now that I, your teacher, Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I'm praying right now that the Lord will bring to your mind a picture of someone's feet who need washed. Some one you could serve, you could bless, you could bow before them and minister the heart and love of Jesus to them. The book of James, the Bible says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. You believe that there is one God? Good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. You know, we're talking about moving past the faith dimension of trusting in Jesus for our salvation, which is so important, and forgiveness of sins, but moving past that, beyond believing in Him, continuing to believe, but then following Him with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. In Galatians 5, Paul says, You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free. That's the good news, isn't it? But do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. You were set free so that you can spend the rest of your life in the freedom of serving. 
First Peter, Peter tells us that our service is something called gift-based, meaning that God wants to give us spiritual gifts inside of us, that he wants to work through us through the power of his Holy Spirit. And he says, each, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To Him be glory, be the glory and the power forever and ever. And then finally, in terms of servanthood, a verse that is so familiar to us is Ephesians 2.10. For we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works which God has prepared in advance for us to do. These are scriptures that talk about who we are, what our identity is. That we are called in following Jesus to be servants. I mean, just looking at all these feet here. I'd wash your feet, John, any day of any week. I would serve you in whatever way you needed me to serve you. There is nothing that I have that can't be yours if you need it. And I know it's mutual. I want you guys... What's going on in your minds right now? What thought is in your mind right now when it comes to this whole thing about service? Just you can say it right from where you are. About being a servant. You feel humbled, Chris? Mercy. Surrender. Love, Jody. We're all blessed, though. Praise the Lord. Humble also. Anyone on this side, or is it pretty much all the Holy Spirit speaking over here? That would be Moses. That's what he said, right? Why is that rolling around in your head, Charlie? It's good to have Charlie back, by the way. Praise the Lord. Charlie's saying that humility makes one usable. A usable vessel. One more? Family? What's going on there? Can you elaborate on that a little bit? We're seated with brothers and sisters. This is your family. They may not be the people you would have chosen, but they're the people that God has chosen. You know, I think you can do the work of sorting out what it means to be a servant. I'm not going to hand out a, here are the opportunities for serving God in this church. I... I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about having a heart to serve. And I see it so many times in so many of you. You just have hearts to serve. And it can be something as detailed and substantial, if you will, as leading a home group. Or it can be something as comparatively simple as stacking up chairs, setting up chairs. And I just see the servants' hearts and just bless you for it. Because 
it's part of what it means to follow Jesus is to be a servant. That's it. That's it. There is no option for just coming and believing. The second uh, actionable, next actionable, last actionable quality is generosity. To follow Jesus Christ means to let go of everything you call your own and offer it for use by the king of his kingdom. Did you hear that? It means to let go of everything you own that you call your own and offer it for use of the king in his kingdom. It means to hold everything we hold title to with a very loose hand and to generously offer it to those who have genuine need. Did you hear that? Generously offer it to those who have genuine need. It means not only to be generous with our possessions, but also generous with ourselves as we love and serve one another with our very strength and energies. And generosity comes as a direct result of unity. You know, when you fall in love with God and with God's people, then you automatically become committed to meeting their needs. The great uh, missionary, Amy Carmichael, who was a missionary in India, she was 55 years there without a furlough. She took care of street children, sort of the Protestant Mother Teresa, if you will. And... uh, She once said, you can always give without loving, but you can never love without giving. Jesus said, you've heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth, but I tell you, do not resist an evil person. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, hey, guess what? You have two cheeks. Be generous. If anyone slaps you on the right cheek, Turn to them the other cheek also. And if anyone wants to sue you or take your shirt, hand over your coat as well. What do you care? If anyone forces you to go one mile, go with them two miles. Give to the one who asks and do not turn away from the one who wants to borrow from you. Luke twelve thirty three. Jesus said, sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out. A treasure in heaven that will never fail. Where, there, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. You know, there's always an issue about this thing in American culture that I just find so befuddling. This thing called tithing. We, we, we make so much more money than all anybody else anywhere in the world, and we resist the concept of tithing more than anywhere else in the world. And many of us have been around the world and have seen this in other cultures, and it just befuddles me because we have it easier to tithe than anybody else in the world, and in essence, we're the worst at it. We are 6% of the world's population, and we have over 25% of the world's resources, and we are... We are so tricked by the enemy in this matter of tithing. I just do not understand it. And, uh, you know, this question came up with Jesus, and he said, Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices. You tithe, he says, mint, dill, and cumin. But you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. And he said, You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. So he said, You know, 
because of, because of me, Jesus is saying, you can now become not only people who are generous in tithing, but you can become people who demonstrate justice and mercy and forgiveness and love. I'm going to help you move beyond the legal aspect of tithing. You know, uh, I, I meet many Americans who handcuff themselves with regard to tithing because of simple mathematics. And I have shown you this in one form or another once before, but I want to put up an, an equation for you, a math problem for you, and I'm just going to call it the mathematics of generosity. And here's why many of you cannot tithe. You want to. It's your heart to, isn't it? I don't, if you have a heart not to, not to be generous, you have a much deeper problem. But if it's in your heart to tithe and you say, I just can't make the numbers work, I want to show you this, which is how you make the numbers work. It's pretty simple. You start with your income. Whatever your income is, you write it down on a piece of paper. You move the decimal point over one place, and that is your tithe. You say, that's a lot. I know, it's a lot for me too. I don't get a break. It's a lot. And it's what Jesus called for. It's what the Scriptures call for. The Lord says, I'm going to give you ten, but one is mine. I want it back. It's part of the relationship we have with God. And so you move it over one place, that's your tithe. Now, in addition to your tithe, Uncle Sam is going to come along and say, I know that's what your income is, but I need to have a certain portion of that in order to make America work, right? Is that right? And so, if you start with your income, and subtract your tithe, and then subtract your taxes, the rest is yours. And what that is, is your standard of living. That that dictates what, by God's will, because He says the tithe is mine and I'm putting you in America... That's your standard of living right there. Your income without your tithe and without your taxes. Is this making some sense? So this is your standard of living. In other words, what's left determines where you're going to live, what you're going to drive, all these other things. And you have been generous in the process by being faithful to the tithe. Now what happens in America because we have been tricked by Satan into this thing called consumerism, is we start by saying, I have an income, I'm going to take my taxes out of that, and that is my standard of living. And so we're living in the wrong neighborhoods, and we're driving the wrong cars, and we're doing the wrong things, because we are spending the tithe. Yes or no? And so what's happening is this. I believe God dictates our standard of living by this equation. God has a plan for you. He has a neighborhood He wants you to live in. He has people He wants you to bless. He has a a, a sense of Christianity for you to convey to the world because of your standard of living. Now, by not tithing and spending that on yourself, you're moving yourself, aren't you? You're moving yourself into a different house because the bank says you can afford it. Am I right or wrong? Stop me when I'm wrong. 
And so you're living somewhere else, you're driving something. You know, you get what I mean, that the trimmings of your life are wrong because you weren't faithful to this. And you may say, but Tom, if I do that, the standard of living is too low. You've got to take that up with God. I am not God. I am your brother who does that. So I'm just saying, if there are many of you who want to be generous, but you can't because you've fallen for the lie that your purpose in life is to live as high on the hog as you can and then just work out with the guilt of not being generous. The Bible says in Luke 21, as Jesus looked up, he saw rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow, a poor widow, put in two very small copper coins. You might expect Jesus to rush up and say, oh, no, 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 no. You're good. Truly, I tell you, he said, this poor widow has put in more than all the others. All these people gave gifts out of their wealth, but she out of her poverty put in all she had to live on. He didn't stop her. There is blessing in this. Acts 4 says, All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own, but they shared everything they had. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And God's grace was so powerfully at work in them all that there were no needy persons among them from time to time. Those who owned land or houses sold them, brought the money from the sales, and put the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anyone who had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, sold the field he owned and brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. First Timothy says, Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain but to put their hope in God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and to be generous and willing to share. In this way, they will lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of the life that is truly life. Jesus said in Matthew 6.21, For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So the question about generosity is, does Jesus have our heart? Psalm 96.8 says, Ascribe to the Lord the glory to his name. And we're like, yeah, turn it up. You know what the next line is? Bring an offering and come into his courts. Uh. These are the seven actionable qualities you want to follow Jesus, yes or no? I've been trying to be truthful with you in this series. That's what we're called for, to do. That's what, these are qualities that are, live in our lives that we can choose to take action about. They're qualities. Could there be more? Maybe. But I think probably anything that you can come up with from the Scriptures is going to somehow find its way into one of these categories. But I think in reality, what I want you to think about as we... As we just move forward in our walk with Jesus, see what he has for us next in terms of teachings, um, I want you to think about the center of things, that we're all living from a center and toward a center. And what Jesus is saying is that there's something that is the center of your life. There's something that's the center. 
And he said, it could be money. It could be your family. And so he said crazy things like, unless you love me more than your father or mother or your kids, you're not worthy of me. And, and you're like, how could he say something like that? He's not calling us not to love our kids or father or mother, right? He's not calling us to do that at all. But he's saying, I'm the center. I'm the center. Everything else has to come after that. I'm the center. When Jesus said, he said, if anyone would come after me. You see, some of you are getting serious about your walk with Jesus Christ, and you're still toying with this of whether Jesus Christ is center. Is center. Still trying to fit him in somewhere in the orbit of your life around something else that is center. And when Jesus Christ becomes center, these other, these other questions answer themselves. This discussion moves forward when Jesus Christ becomes center. And there are some of you sitting here right now who over the past months or maybe years have found your way to Jesus Christ being center of your life, haven't you? And it's changed everything, hasn't it? It's like the things that used to matter don't matter. The things that didn't used to matter are now so urgent to you, yes? Some people come to me sometimes and say, what are you doing to me? You're messing with my head. And I'm like, I'm not even that smart. I don't even know how to mess with your head. In fact, I don't even know your name. I don't know who you are. How could I be messing? This is Jesus Christ demanding center position. Center place. If anyone would come after me, not after the church, not after a tall, bald pastor, don't follow me for God's sake, save yourselves. If anyone would come after me, he says, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for me will find it. You're chasing after your life, aren't you? I think it's incredible that Jesus wants to be the center of our life. Father, we invite your Holy Spirit to come. We invite you to come. Take up center position in this church. Take up center position in each of our lives. Come now and be center. Just be center, Lord. I'm going to ask some of you guys who are prayer ministry people to come up and stand along the sides. There may be people here who are in urgent need of prayer. Come now. And uh, there may be some kind of urgent need of prayer for something. Something going on in their lives. They just really need somebody to pray with them. These people will be up here to pray with you. Also, if you're here today and you know, you're just at that place where you want to cross over from Jesus, thinking about Jesus, to knowing Jesus, you can come up to these people and they'll know exactly how to pray with you and get you started in your journey. But you can come for anything. going on over there. Church, let's stand together. Let's respond to the Lord as He stirs your heart.